the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2, heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. Delight to hear from our good friend David Schweiker, representing Arizona's Congressional District Number 1. David, how are you? Happy Thanksgiving. And a blessed one to you. And, you know, as long as my turkey is sitting in the brine right now, we're going the right direction. Yeah, what do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Tell us what what goes on uh, at Shea Schweikert. <laughs> well, look, um, for most of my life, or it feels this way, Fountain Hills has a little tiny Thanksgiving parade. Uh-huh. But we've done it for like 30, 35 years. Yeah. And I've been in the parade, I think, every year. So we'll do the same, and um, we'll be there handing out candy and honey buns. Um, uh, That's an interesting tradition. Re- That's candy well, and honey uh, buns. Okay, there's a story there. I think like I know 20, what it might be. I think I know what it might be. 20, no, no, no. This is just one of those stupid things. 20 years ago, Sam's Club was having a sale on honey buns. They were just giving rid of you know, huge cases. So I bought them, and I gave them out at the parade. Well, then the next year, everyone expected honey buns. It's cost me the for- a fortune. I could have bought a car with all my honey bun money. Uh, but so every year we hand out honey buns because it's now become just part of the family tradition. David, it's a deeper tradition than that, I'm sorry to tell you. You stumbled on it by accident. If oh, you go tell. back 50 years ago tonight, 50 years ago tonight aired the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And you may or may not recall that I, I actually watched this. Okay, last well, what did Snoopy Snoopy served toast and jelly beans? Toaster and anal- toast is analogous to honey buns, and jelly beans yeah, are right. candy. Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a leap, but yes, I think go with it. Uh, I like it. I like it. I think run with um, it. So that is, and then I'm blessed to have lots of family here in town. So we'll go visit family members, and then eventually come home and. Um, you know, and hope we haven't eaten too much. Yeah, good, good. That's actually a big and issue. How about how about you? Yeah, I, I I'm I'm kind of peripatetic. I have to, I travel around a little bit here and there. Um, what I don't say, and I am on a campaign against saying, is when you ask someone what they're doing for Thanksgiving, and they say, "Well, we're serving a traditional Thanksgiving meal." No, they're not. They are not. Not unless they're serving swan and eels and lobster. They are not serving a traditional <laughs> Thanksgiving meal. Oh, come on. Or venison. Yeah, venison was at the first Thanksgiving. Yeah, venison was a big one. Yeah. 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 It, it's, well, look, you're invited to come walk the parade with me. I might do so. What day is it? Tomorrow. At what time? And I need you there by 9 a.m. I, I, I will be up at 4, and uh, so it's entirely likely I could do it. I'll give you a buzz offline, and we'll figure out if it All works. Right. Yeah, it could be fun. David, I just sent yes, you the yes, yes. debt update. Get, get to it. And only, I, know, I know some people get annoyed. You and I talk about this all <laughs> the time. It's all right. But the, we do that 365, 364-day clock. Yep. So, so it's an honest clock. So we're not picking up timing effects of just one fiscal year or another. I think we're burning, as of today, 
at the fastest rate in history. Because wow. uh, I think we're over $79,000 a second borrowing wow. right now. Okay, okay, okay. Wow, wow. Now, talk about it with regard to receipts, too. Talk about tax receipts. Oh, yeah, if you, take, if you take a look at what I sent, yeah. and to anyone that's listening, oh. yeah. if you want to geek out, if you go to um, my congressional website, there's a spot where you can sign up. Yep. And every day we do a text message of the daily debt update. Yep. And, you know, other than like in the middle of COVID when there was just very little income coming in in the stimulus, because mm-hmm. right now the economy is actually fairly stable. Yeah. And yet there's this weird thing happening where FICA tax receipts, and that's the tax receipt you get from people who are working, mm-hmm. are actually down. Right. Right. And why is that, that, by the way? Why is that? We're trying to figure it out because the California um, declared emergency timing is over. Yep. Um, California was declared a disaster zone. So they had more time for corporations, LLCs, those there to pay. Mm -hmm. But FICA tax wasn't set aside that way. Mm -hmm. Um, You have, you know, it's part of your, when you get your paycheck, and it covers everyone from your first dollar. You know, up to someone that makes one hundred and sixty thousand, mm-hmm. um, and it's de- it's down, and it's down like five percent, which is substantial. Um, so we're trying to figure that one out because does that mean something's going on in the labor market more so than we see on the financial news? Interesting, yeah, interesting. You were doing some news rounds recently, <laughs> talking about overeating <laughs> tomorrow. You did oh, some, yeah, yeah. You want to talk? That isn't actually that isn't actually what I was talking about. Well, I know um, you're talking about the excess of it, uh, the obesity. Well, no, issue. no. Actually, in some ways, um, it, because look, we all process our calories differently. Sure, but was trying to have an honest conversation. The health. Is is the biggest driver of U.S. debt? Yeah, the growth of Medicare, it, Medicare interest, and if we choose to backfill Social Security in nine years when the trust fund's gone, are projected to be one hundred percent or almost one hundred percent of all future debt for yep. the next thirty years. Yep, and we're seeing some crazy numbers where a third of the American um, healthcare dollars are just related to diabetes. Right. 31% of all Medicare right. is just related just to diabetes. Right. And then when you put in other comorbidities, uh, heart disease, kidney failure, those things that are related to obesity, it's it's approaching half our healthcare dollars. It's about, if my math is right, you get me, you'll fix me if I'm wrong. It's about half a trillion a year, isn't it? Almost. Oh, it's more, much more than that. Okay. Much more than that. Oh, oh, oh. A half a trillion would be twelve percent of healthcare. Okay. okay so I okay. mean, yeah. So it's much more than that. Okay. Um, and it, but our our, our math work we were working on was what could we save if we adopted a program to try to reduce obesity? You know, we were trying to figure out saying, okay, if you get a third of the people to participate, you know, did it this this that. You know, it's a few trillion dollars over the 10 years of just in savings. Mm-hmm. And you'd have longer lives. You'd have better labor force participation. There's a economist out there. She thinks you'd have more family formation mm-hmm. if people were healthier. Yep. And so it's a very uncomfortable subject because you get beaten up if you talk about it. 
But the fact of the matter is, we have a real problem. America is sick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, life expectancy has fallen, and we, it may be about to fall again for the fifth straight year. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the the leading cause in it is actually obesity. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing thing, and it's uh, how did this happen? By the way, I mean, if you go back and you look at TV shows from the '60s or anything like, you don't see obesity. You just don't see it. Um, convenience. Um, we also hyper process our food. Yeah, it's one of my it's one of my frustrations I'm having with the farm bill. Yeah, and trying to see if we can change some of the incentives. Yeah, so we hyper process, hyper process, hyper process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, North America used to grow 3,300 types of grain. Today we grow, what, five? Yeah. Um, so so there's some of that that's just part of our agricultural policy. And part of it is our lifestyle. Yeah. We race from thing to thing. Um, how many of us have physical labor jobs anymore? Yeah. Right. Totally so, true. So, and, and, you know, it's just, uh, but with that, we haven't made sort of the, um, the changes that say, hey, you know, I now sit in front of a computer most of my day where if I had the same lifestyle yep. 30 years ago, I would be out working the job site. It's great. Yep. A lot of screen time turns out a lot along with the processed food, the fast food and our appetites that we seem not to be able to control on that or anything else. Well, tomorrow should be guilt-free, and after that, let's get back to it. Let's get back <laughs> I mean, we get a hall pass for tomorrow. We get a hall pass for tomorrow. Well, God bless you, David, and thanks for all the work you're doing and for highlighting this stuff. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for representing us. Thanks for everything you do. And, and if you can come out, we'd love to have you at the Fountain parade. Hill. I love Fountain Hills. Honey buns and right. jelly beans. Toast and jelly beans. All right, David Schweiker, go All get right. it. God Goodbye bless. Now. You betcha. Happy Thanksgiving to the Schweikerts. All right, 602-508-0960. That's 602-508960. What? Why are you shaking your head, young David? <laughs> we'll be right back. Do you want to register uh, with the audience what uh, what our plan is for the holiday tunage? Oh, sure, like our best of shows, which no, will be no, upcoming. no. I mean music tunes, bumper music. <laughs> oh, um, starting after Thanksgiving. Yes, starting after Thanksgiving. We will introduce and probably Christmas the first music. week of December. We'll yes. begin to introduce Christmas music, and I would love to hear the audience's suggestions because I Seth Leibson does nope. not like Bing Crosby, and I think that is an offense against God, man, and America. Well, you know, Frank Sinatra came to resent Bing Crosby. I'm on Frank Sinatra's. Side well, that this. takes us back to President Kennedy. Exactly right. Yes. Exactly right. Do you know why? I, I, uh, because do you think Sinatra I just say things? ties to the mob and invited Kennedy to his house in Palm Springs, the same house which you can visit today in which he would hoist the Jolly Roger when cocktails were being served, and he installed a helipad for President Kennedy to arrive in by Marine One straight from Washington but no, President Kennedy would not attend Frank Sinatra's soiree because of connections to Sam Gianciano in Chicago. Giancana. Instead, he went to Bing Crosby's Palm Springs house, an offense that Frank Sinatra would never forgive. And in fact, he cut his relationship with the brother-in-law, Peter Lawford, because of it. Yeah. 
That's right. Uh, and you had played, um, yeah, you had played Sinatra earlier singing for JFK. Mm-hmm. He did a lot for JFK. And he thought it was a terrible betrayal. He was blindsided at first, yeah. though, when he wouldn't. Uh, he do you know that he wanted to be ambassador to Italy? No. For some reason, <laughs> Frank endorsed Kennedy in 1960 with these high hopes of being ambassador to Italy. I think it was again the mob stuff. He wanted to be a liaison. Stop with the mob stuff. Well, it was there. It, it was, was alleged. All yeah, yeah. Alleged. You know what I think we need? I think we need another voice. Another voice. Yeah. You're tired of mine. No, I just think we need this. <laughs> Now, the story of the pilgrims begins in the early part of the 17th century. The Church of England under King James I was persecuting anyone and everybody who did not recognize the church's absolute civil and spiritual authority, actually the state. Now, those who challenged the ecclesiastical authority and those who believed strongly in freedom of worship were hunted down. It's in England in the 1600s. They were hunted down. They were imprisoned, sometimes executed for what they believed. So a group of separatists, people that didn't want any part of this, fled first to Holland. They liked wooden shoes and cheese. They established a community. They were there for 11 years. After 11 years, about 40 of these separatists who liked wooden shoes and cheese agreed to make a perilous journey to the New World. They had heard about it. Some new exciting place hadn't been developed. They knew that they were going to face hardship. Hardship like you and I don't know. And I'm not preaching to you. I'm just telling you, we don't know the hardship these people endured. We can't. We are way too advanced now. People who lived in the 1600s would not believe life today. (laughs) Try to explain flight, jet travel. They wouldn't understand it. They knew they were facing hardship. But paramount importance to them was living freely and worshiping God according to the dictates of their own consciences, their own beliefs. That's what they were denied the freedom to do in England. So, August 1st, 1620, the Mayflower set sail. There were a total of 102 passengers, including 40 of these separatists, the pilgrims. There were just 40 of them. They were led by a man named William Bradford, Remember his name. On the journey across the Atlantic, you talk about something that had to be frightening and scary. The Mayflower was not much bigger than a 50-foot boat, 102 people on it. On the journey, William Bradford set up an agreement, a contract, if you will, that established just and equal laws for all members, all 40 members of this pilgrim community. Didn't matter what their religious beliefs were. These were the laws they were all agreeing to live by. Now, where did these laws, these ideas come from? We're talking about the Mayflower Compact is what Bradford wrote. 
The Mayflower Compact derived from the Bible. The pilgrims were a people completely steeped in the Bible, Old and New Testaments. They were a devoutly religious people. No matter what else is said about them, and even that is denied, they were devoutly religious. They looked to the ancient Israelites for much of their example, and because of the biblical precedent set forth in Scripture, they never doubted, because of their faith in God, that their experiment would work. They never doubted they would get to the new world. They never doubted that once they got there, they would thrive. The journey was long. It was arduous. It was dangerous. And when they finally landed, when the pilgrims finally landed in New England in November, according to William Bradford's detailed journal, they found a cold, barren, desolate wilderness. Imagine New England as it exists today as nothing but rocks, forest, undeveloped nature in November and getting colder. There were no friends to greet. There was no shelter of any kind other than what, you know, hiding under a tree. There was nothing, folks. It was desolate. There were no hotels. There were no inns. There were no places to clean up. There were no houses. To sh- I mean, this was real hardship. The sacrifice that they had made for the freedom to worship was just beginning. You want more of this? Do we want a little bit more of this? This is Rush Limbaugh just a few months before he died. His story of Thanksgiving. And anytime I play a little Rush, I get a flood of emails and texts saying thank you for doing so. We're here because of him on radio. I mean, he... he created talk radio um you want a little more we can do a little more we'll do it when we come back oh is this from schoolhouse rock you betcha it i is. love it you want a little more rush just a little more yes okay during that first winter remember they arrive in november During that first winter, half of them, including William Bradford's own wife, died of starvation, of sickness, exposure to the elements. Now we're getting close to what you were taught in Scruel. When spring finally came, and by the way, writing that doesn't do it justice. Spring didn't just finally came. It was a survival It was an act of survival that you and I cannot possibly relate to or understand. American special forces can. Military people who've been trained can understand what the pilgrims were. You and I can't. We've never done anything like that first winter in the New World. They survived it. Spring finally came. They did meet the Indians, the Native Americans who were there, who did help them in planting corn, 
and fishing for cod. They showed them where the beavers were so the beavers could be skinned for coats, other things. You animal rights people are not going to like some of this story, but it, it happened. But even at this, even, even with this degree of assistance from the Indians and Native Americans, there wasn't any prosperity yet. They had the Mayflower Compact. They had these laws they were living by, but there was no prosperity. And I wonder why. And this is important to understand here, folks, because this is where modern American history lessons end with the Indians teaching the pilgrims how to eat, how to fish, how to skin beavers and all that. That's where it ends. And that's the feel-good story. But that doesn't even get close to the true story. You know, Thanksgiving is actually explained in some textbooks as a holiday for which the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians for saving their lives. It wasn't that. It, that happened, but Thanksgiving was a devout expression of gratitude. The pilgrims to God for their survival and everything that was a part of it. Now, here's the part that has been omitted. The original contract the pilgrims entered into in Holland, they had sponsors. They didn't have the money to do this trip on their own. They had sponsors. There were merchant sponsors in London and in Holland. And these merchant sponsors demanded that everything that the pilgrims produced in the New World would go into a common store, a single bank, if you will, and that each member of the pilgrim community was entitled to one share. So everybody had an equal share of whatever was in that bank. All of the land they cleared, all of the houses they built belonged to that bank, to the community as well. And they were going to distribute it equally because they were going to be fair. So all of the land that they cleared and all the houses they built belonged to everybody, belonged to the community, belonged to the bank, belonged to the common store. Nobody owned anything. They just had an equal share in it. It was a commune. The pilgrims established a commune, essentially. Forerunner of the communes we saw in the 60s and 70s out in California. They even had their own organic vegetables, by the way. Yep, the pilgrims, forerunners in organic vegetables. Of course, what else could there be? No such thing as processed anything back then. Now, William Bradford. You want a little bit more of this? It's kind of good, isn't it? It's kind of good. I'm getting a lot of emails on it. And Mr. Bill is saying so, too. Okay. St stick with us. We'll stick with it. Who's that? Who is that? This is Jay and the Techniques, and this is a one-hit wonder. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet it is. I bet it is. Well, as long as we're being thankful, we're all in this industry thankful to this man rendering this story. Let's go back to it. William Bradford, who had become the governor of the colony because he was the leader, 
recognized that this wasn't going to work. This was costly and destructive, and it wasn't, it just wasn't working. It was collectivism. It was socialism. It wasn't working. That first winter had taken a lot of lives. The manpower was greatly reduced. So William Bradford decided to take bold action, which I will describe when we get back here. So I want to get back to where we left off. William Bradford, the governor of the Pilgrim community, saw that none of this was working. The Mayflower Compact was not working. Giving everybody a single share of stock in the common store, in the common bank, was not working. Collectivism. It was, it was as costly and destructive to the pilgrims as it is and has been to anybody who has ever tried it. So Bradford decided to scrub it. He just he threw it out and took bold action. He assigned a plot of land to each family. Every family was given a plot of land. They could work it, manage it, however they wanted to. If they just wanted to sit on it, get fat, dumb, happy, and lazy, they could. If they wanted to develop it, if they wanted to grow corn, whatever on it, they could. If they wanted to build on it, they could do that. If they wanted to turn it into a, a quasi-business, they could do whatever they wanted to do with it. He turned loose the power of the capitalist marketplace. Long before Karl Marx was even born, long before Karl Marx was a sperm cell in his father's dreams, the pilgrims had discovered and experimented with what could only be described as socialism, and they found that it didn't work. Now, it wasn't called that then, but that's exactly what it was. Everybody was given an equal share. You know what happened? Nobody did anything. There was no, there was no incentive Nothing worked. Nothing happened. What Bradford and his community found was that the most creative and industrious people had no incentive to work any harder than anybody else did. Unless they could utilize the power of personal motivation. But while most of the rest of the world has been experimenting with socialism for over a hundred years longer now, trying to refine it, perfect it, reinvent it, the pilgrims decided early on to scrap it permanently. What Bradford wrote about this experiment should be in every school child's history lesson. If it were, we might prevent so much suffering. We might have prevented this election if the true story of Thanksgiving had been taught for years and years and years. And I'll tell you what Bradford wrote and how they fixed it when we get back after this. So William Bradford, after putting everybody in a common store, the Mayflower Compact, they wanted to be fair. They wanted everybody to have one common share of stock and everything that happened that the pilgrims produced, and it bombed. It didn't work. There was no prosperity. There was no creativity because there was no incentive. Here's what Bradford wrote about the failure. 
for this community, so far as it was, was found to breed much confusion and discontent. They were not happy, in other words. This community was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. In other words, nobody worked. The way they set it up killed and discouraged work. There was no need. For young men that were most able and fit for labor and service, sat around and did nothing, should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without being paid for it. They said, why do that? So they didn't. It was thought to be injustice. Why should you work for other people when you can't work for yourself? What's the point? So you hear what he was saying here, folks? The pilgrims found that people could not be expected to do their best work without some incentive. So what did they try? What did Bradford's pilgrim community try next? They unharnished the power of free enterprise. They invoked capitalism, the principle of private property, all the way back in the 16, 1400s. 16, I mean, it was incredible. Every family was assigned its own plot of land, and they could do with it whatever they wanted to do. Bradford wrote, this had very good success, for it made all hands industrious. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. So when profit was introduced, when the opportunity to prosper was introduced, it went gangbusters. That, my friends, is the essence of the true story of Thanksgiving. This is where it gets really good. If you're laboring under the misconception that I was, that I was taught in school, they, they set up trading posts, they exchanged goods with the Indians after they had enjoyed this prosperity. It was not the Indians that brought them prosperity, and it done, it's not said to insult anybody. The Indians assisted them on their arrival, undeniably. But what led to prosperity for these original settlers was a discovery that the common store failed. Socialism didn't work when they introduced what turns out to be capitalism. They didn't have the name for it. But when they turned loose individual incentive, keep what you produce, sell what you don't need, they went crazy. This is not something they were taught by anybody but self-experience. It was not the Indians. None of this is said to put anybody down. Don't misunderstand. The Indians did a lot of things that helped them, which I'll get to in just a second. But it was their own industriousness. They set up trading posts. They exchanged goods with the Indians. They sold stuff to them. And those profits allowed them to pay off the debts of their sponsors in London and in Holland. Who's taught that? Who's taught that anymore? You know... It's amazing what um, someone said on Twitter the other day that um, if you uh, if you have children that uh, that are quoting Bin Laden positively, you have a problem with your with, with your parents. Someone said, "Yeah, but if you have a lot of them, you have a problem with your education system." And it's true of every other negative thing we're seeing today too. We'll be right back. 
You know, uh, sometimes I think I know things I know things about. Sometimes I do. And sometimes David Dahl knows more. And he found this little gem. Go ahead, Johnny Cash. We've come to the time in the season When family and friends gather near To offer a prayer of thanksgiving For blessings we've known through the years To join hands and thank the Creator Now when Thanksgiving is due And this year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord He made you This year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord He made you I'm grateful for the laughter of children The sun and the wind and the rain The color of blue in your sweet eyes The sight of a highball and train The moonrise over a prairie And old love that you've made new This year when I count my blessings Thanking the Lord He made you This year when I count my blessings I'm thanking the Lord He made you And when the time comes to be going in sorrow and tears I'll kiss you goodbye and I'll go on the way grateful for all of the years I thank for all that you gave me for teaching me what love can do and thanksgiving day for the rest of my life Thanking the Lord He made you Thanksgiving Day for the rest of my life Thanking the Lord He made you That's beautiful. Thank you for that find, David. Yeah, It's one of the last songs yeah. he wrote wow. about nine years before his demise. Wow. Uh, he performed it on a television show, and there are very few uh, studio recordings of it. Fabulous. Well done. Well found. Uh, Okay, we're going to have a new guest in the next hour. This should be interesting. Luke Nichter wrote an amazing book, The Year That Broke Politics, Collusion and Chaos in the Presidential Election of 1968. I want to see what this professor of history thinks of the times and the convulsions we're in now compared to that Annabus, Annus Horribilis 1968. We'll do that when we come right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.